Come on into the sitting room. The sitting room. We're saving you a seat in the sitting room. The sitting room. Here's your host, Kathy Cairo. Welcome into the sitting room. I'm Kathy Cairo. What a beautiful day it is out there. I walked into the studio today and I said, boy, this is a terrible, terrible day to be inside, isn't it? (laughs) I just thank you wherever you are that you have me with you and you're listening to The Sitting Room. And before we go any further, thank you to American Eagle Mortgage. They have been for months now a featured sponsor of The Sitting Room, and I just love them. I love Rachel May and all her team there. If you are in the market for a home, you need that pre-approval, call Rachel or go online and find her at aemc.cc slash Rachel May. You know, those of you uh, who have listened to, to at any length to the sitting room know that my background decades ago, uh, I was a producer and reporter for CBN News and the 700 Club television show. I was there during the 1980s, which was the heyday of Christian media. Those were the days, my friends, that we thought would never end, <laughs> but they did. Uh, between the 700 Club, PTL, Jimmy Swagger, Jerry Falwell, TBN, just to name a few of us, over 45 million Americans a day watched a Christian television program. Many of those Americans contributed their dollars to the broadcast. So those ministries were multi-million dollar industries. Well, about a month ago, I went to, gosh, I guess it's an almost 30 year reunion of the friends and colleagues I had that I'd worked with at CBN during that era. And it was so interesting to me. Some of them still work there. Uh, Many have moved on to other broadcasting jobs. Some have gotten out of the field completely. But what was interesting to me was to hear about how their faith, how their thoughts about God and evangelical Christianity, how that had changed or not. Uh, Those who still worked in what I call the Christian media bubble tended to talk in the same language that I did back in 1985. It almost felt like a time warp. I had to uh, remind myself who I was uh, back then. Um, Those of us who had moved on to some degree uh, no longer lived in what I call the geodesic dome of Christendom. Uh, had a much more sobering, perhaps is the word, or uh, cynical is probably too strong, but uh, we had a different look at God in faith, sort of a what were we thinking, (laughs) backwards look at that faith we had back in the 1980s. And as I talked to all of them, uh, all of us have a little more gray hair, hopefully a little more wisdom, a little more life under our belt, and, and therefore a little more cynicism. It struck me that what we all had in common was that life has a way of making hay of our certainty. Life has a way of taking everything you thought to be concrete and true and throwing it through the shredder uh, if you live long enough. Which brings me to my first guest. I talked about the 1980s. 1987 was a horrendous year for Christian television. If you were alive then and watching, you remember that Jim Baker, co-founder of the PTL Network with his wife Tammy, faced sex scandal and charges of financial corruption, which eventually resulted in the fall of his very, very popular PTL television show and that South Carolina theme park and ultimately prison for Jim Baker. During that period, Jerry Falwell went down a water slide to raise money. Oral Roberts held himself hostage in a prayer tower. And my boss, Pat Robertson, was running for president, which many felt was just as nuts as all that was going on with his colleagues. I had a front row seat to this really bad movie, No Popcorn. Uh, As I was asked to co-host the 700 Club in Pat's absence, I sat next to Ben Kenchlow day after day and tried to, without holding a sign saying, I'm not one of them, uh, participate in this. One of the things that I watched with great sadness during that period was an 11-year-old boy in Fort Mill, South Carolina, Jamie Charles Baker. You know him by, if you watch the show, he was the son of Jim and Tammy. He had a standing support role in the cast that made up the PTL show. He was the darling of that uh, Christian media family, often brought out on stage as a guest, or cynics would say a prop. Uh, He was known and adored by millions until that day in 1987 when he wasn't. 
He was the collateral damage to his parents' fall in Christian royalty. I've watched Jamie uh, as he grew up over the years. He now goes by Jay. And it amazes me, frankly, that he didn't turn into an axe murderer, <laughs> that, that he did, in fact, land on his feet. And even with a bit of faith, a good sense of humor, albeit that faith is radically changed. It is my honor, privilege to welcome to the sitting room, Jay Baker. Hi, Jay. Hey, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here in the sitting room. Jay, I, I, have, I have done an interview with you in my head for years because I have, oh, always, yeah. <laughs> I have always wondered what goes on. Uh, I was just close enough to, to, to catch the ugly parts during that period, but stayed out of the real damage. You were right in the center of it. Can you, can you tell my audience, do you remember? Of course you remember, but being an 11-year-old, what that year was like, 1987? Oh, I mean, everything you just talked about was happening, um, and I had an insider's look on all of it. I mean, we knew about Jimmy Swaggart's fall probably a week ahead of time. Uh, it was just really weird to be in that in that uh, in that bubble, and you know, I couldn't turn on the TV because I wasn't supposed to, at least. Um, but you know, Saturday Night Live and uh, all the late night shows, Johnny Carson and everybody were making you know jokes about my parents um everything i knew was gone i mean because the what some people called the an amusement park but it was also had you know christian school there and it had a lot of uh you know uh family things you could do and so i kind of grew up there i mean i was uh, there and that was my life and then all of a sudden that was over well and i didn't uh, jay i didn't realize i think if i thought hard enough i would have figured this out it was your home, it was your church, it was your school, it was your parents' livelihood. When you had to clear out, you had to clear out. You were effectively homeless, except, of course, you're with your mom and dad. But it, when it was yeah. over, it was over, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we lived in a parsonage, a big parsonage, but we lived in a parsonage, and we had to leave that. And yeah, so it was done. We, we moved out of the state for a little while. We lived in Tennessee for a little bit and in California. So, I mean, it was like everything I knew was completely undone. And for me, my, you know, I had to have bodyguards and I had nannies and things like that. For me, they were like family, but in reality, they were, you know, paid to be there. (laughs) And so when the money stopped, you know, and they, they had to go on to other jobs, you know, it was just like you were abandoned Hmm. by everyone and everything. And because my parents were so busy all the time, all of a sudden now they weren't as busy. And, um, it was like, we were all just kind of stuck in this. What do we do now? I mean, it was, in some ways it was horrible, and in other ways it was an interesting uh, to be able to get to know my mom and dad uh, a little bit better. Hmm. Jay Baker is on the phone with me, son of Jim and Tammy Baker. Uh, when we come back in the sitting room, I want to continue the conversation with Jay about what that upheaval did to him, his faith, and his God, his concept of God. In the second hour, Reba Riley's back with me. She's so much fun. Tried 30 religions in her 30th year. How did that work for her? I'm Kathy Cairo in the sitting room on News Radio 610 WTVN. Welcome back to the sitting room. There from the cross into eternity, your grace finds me. I'm Kathy Cairo. Yes, your grace finds me. Later in my show, Reba Riley says I wanted to fix my spirit, but I didn't know how. I felt I would have had to I would have to repent with words I couldn't spit out and admit to sins I hadn't committed. She suffered from what she calls post-traumatic church syndrome, and she is with me next hour to talk about that. Right now, I return to my interview with Jay Baker. You may remember him as Jamie Charles. He is the son of Jim and Tammy Baker, but he's all grown up now, and he is the author of three books, Faith, Doubt, and Other Lines I've Crossed, Walking with the Unknown God, Fall to Grace, and Son of a Preacher Man. Most recently, he has launched a podcast at thisisradiocast.com, and I just put the link to that on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash radio. That's how you can contact me, and now how you can find Jay. Welcome back to the Sitting Room, Jay. I'm so glad you're here with me today. 
Thanks for having me. And before I get too far, you, I'm giving you permission to drop me if that baby comes. You're, <laughs> you're, getting, <laughs> you. you're getting ready to be a dad at any minute, aren't you? Yeah, any any minute or any day. So yeah, we're we're just kind of waiting on the baby to tell us when. Well, that's what they do, Jay. And they and, and by the way, they keep doing that for years and years and years. So so uh, <laughs> congratulations to you. Let's go back Thank to that you. day in 1987. You're a young man. Your mom and dad's uh, kingdom, so to speak, falls to the ground. You are caught uh, in the damage and and uh, we call it collateral damage in that. Um, your dad did eventually go to prison uh, for 16 months. Uh, that had to be traumatic uh, to you. Um, first of all, Jay, how strong was your faith really? I mean, I know you're on the set of PTL. Your mom and dad are leading thousands and thousands to Christ. Uh, but you're the kid that's just there. Was your faith as strong as though your viewers would think it was during that period? Um, I mean, I was 11 years old. I was more concerned with playing than what God was doing. I mean, for me, the idea of God was just, you know, a given and, uh, and that there was a God and that there were good things and bad things. And it was confusing because my parents weren't as, as uh, strict as most of my friend's parents or as some of like the youth teachers who would talk about like all the stuff being like satanic. You know, I mean, my parents would buy me He-Man and even Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, you know, while everybody else's parents were, were uh, kind of freaking out over that stuff. So it was really strange to see that my parents had more of a, a normal handle on life than I think most people would have thought mm-hmm. or most of their followers. So for me, it was like, you know, I don't know, I, I just trying to, I guess, figure out who and what was going on as in, in the youth group and what youth leaders to listen to, but... Being so young, it was just one of those things that was a given. You just, I mean, it, you just took it for granted because that's what it was. It was just, I heard God you was there. Jay, I heard you say in an interview, hey, I didn't have time to think of God. My, my dad was, was, you know, in a fetal position on a couch and we were losing everything we had. Uh, God was not a priority right then. Had to yeah, be a dark, as, dark I mean, time for you. All that stuff happened, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was done. I mean, I just, nothing was a priority. I mean, my dad was um, actually when I, my dad went into prison when I was thirteen and didn't get out and, and, until I was eighteen. So I think it was a little bit more than sixteen months, and uh, that was worth some really tough years. Um, and those are some form, formidable years to uh, have your parent gone. It was hard for me to make sense out of anything. You know, I was going to public school and and uh, dealing with the media and stuff like that. And what was most important to me was getting my dad home and. Unfortunately, I became somewhat of a prisoner of the past, as my parents did, and uh, rather than allowing my past to turn me into someone, it was just kind of I was stuck in it Hmm. and unable to enjoy the present. You went through a really, really dark time as you became a teenager, as you got into your 20s. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, you know, I, I didn't know how to relate to people. So, you know, I started drinking and, and, and uh, did, you know, drugs and things like that, uh, mostly to, I think, just to relate to people because I was so afraid. And I was afraid people were constantly judging me and my family. So I tried to escape from it and uh, also use it for my benefit uh, with girls and stuff because I was a teenage boy, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but, you know, it was it was just one of those, you know... I would go to a church and I would hear the pastor tell a story of, you know, about my parents as an example. And it would be usually 99% of the time it would be a negative example. And so I just felt like I had nowhere where I belonged. You know, it was, you know, Saturday Night Live was making fun of my parents. The church was making fun of my parents. And so I just felt like the whole world had kind of turned their back on my parents. So I just jumped into a scene of, of teenagers who accepted me for who I was. And uh, strangely enough, even to this day, sometimes I feel like those group of teenagers were more loving and caring than any church I'd ever been a part of. Mm. Jay, you touched on that, and that's one of the things that I, and I have read, because it's so fascinating to me because of where I was in my life at that time, I've read most of the books that came out or about that. 
And uh, and I'm telling you, as a young man, and I, I mean what I said in my intro, I'm surprised you didn't become an axe murderer. I mean, because really the truth is uh, the most godly people in the world, we saw the worst behavior during that time. And, and I mean from our leaders, not from the people around you. I am talking about the most famous Christians in the world behaved very, very badly during that time and very uh, uh personally against your parents at a time when your parents should have been loved and picked up they were you know thrown under the bus by and i know there's no love lost between you and and some of those individuals um and my question for you though is when you already have are, are struggling with your own faith and your own definition of god and then you see god's people god's men for that matter doing that how do you ever come back to any kind of faith well, I was so torn because my parents had always told me, you know, that Jesus loved you and Jesus was love and love was a trump card. And at the same time, I saw the exact opposite. So I thought God was this, I thought God was this horrible, angry, hateful entity, but yet somehow Jesus loved me and I couldn't figure that out. And uh, I'd say until I got into my probably 21, uh, a friend of mine started telling me about grace and and the idea of grace, and I thought it was an interesting concept, but I thought it was something that he was doing to to kind of get away with his own uh, sins. <laughs> and uh, I said, prove it, and he had me read this, the book of Galatians, and something happened. I kind of had, I guess, what a Martin Luther moment, and uh, grace became real to me. And over the years, I've studied theology, and what I've realized now, not then right away, but looking back, is that a lot, most of those leaders... Uh, really had bad theology, if any theology at all. Um, part of being part of, uh, I guess, not not being part of mainline denominations and being charismatic, you know, there's just not a lot of great direction. There's not a lot of Greek and Hebrew scholars. There's not a lot of Christian historians. So you're caught up in this kind of game of, you know, whatever the pastor, however the pastor interprets it, interprets what he's reading in front of him, and he doesn't take in the 2,000-year-old traditions or things like that. You just get a lot of really bad, hateful theology. And, um, you know, so that's kind of how I learned to cope with it, is realizing that, you know, these guys were probably just victims of misinformation Mm, or lack thereof. Very gracious. Very gracious of you, uh, Jay. And I know we're talking a few years uh, that took probably you to come to that uh, um, Uh, conclusion. Jay Baker's on the phone with me. He is the son of Jim and Tammy Baker. He's all grown up now. In fact, getting ready to have his own child. Um, And uh, he uh, he has a great podcast, interviews some really fascinating people. You can find Jay at thisisradiocast.com. After this break, I want to ask Jay about that grace. I saw him show up with piercings and tattoos and smoking a cigar. Is God in that? I think he was. Jay Baker's in the sitting room. I'm Kathy Cairo on News Radio 610 WTVN. Come on into the sitting room. The sitting room. We're saving you a seat in the sitting room. The sitting room. Here's your host, Kathy Cairo. Welcome back into the sitting room. I'm Kathy Cairo. Thank you so much for taking just a bit of your Sunday afternoon with uh, with me. Send me a message, uh, Kathy at sittingroomradio.com. Kathy with a K is my email, or you can keep up with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash sittingroomradio. I just uh, posted the link to Jay Baker's blog, uh, not his blog, his podcast. He is uh, just launched a podcast. You can hear a little more from our guest today um, in the sitting room. Before we move on, a big thank you to American Eagle Mortgage. Rachel May is at aemc.cc slash Rachel May. She is a terrific loan officer, one of the best in the business, and I'm proud to have her as a featured sponsor of the sitting room. Coming up in the second hour, Reba Riley was 29 and she was sick. She was spiritually and physically sick. She decided to seek God and healing in 30 religions before her 30th year. She's with me to tell me 
what happened at the end of that year. She's in the next hour of the sitting room. My guest this hour in the sitting room is a pastor, a speaker, a sought-after voice of reason in the emergent church. His podcast, as I said, can be found at thisisradiocast.com. You, however, probably know him as the son of Jim and Tammy Baker. Please welcome back to the sitting room, Jay Baker. Hi, Jay. Hey, how's it going? Good. So we talked about you going from your teens to your 20s. Um, You did not uh, run from your faith, but your faith and your God began to change very differently from your father's. It wasn't your father's faith uh, by the time you got to the end of it. Tell Tell me about that, Grace. Tell me what it did to change your perception of God and who he was in your life. Well, I think for the foundation, my parents gave me a foundation of love. And uh, a lot of the hate and stuff was built in around other folks that I'd seen. But uh, someone started telling me about grace. And I don't know, the idea of unconditional love, uh, which even people will fight over now, saying that that's not grace. But I found it to be grace. uh, just started to become alive to me in books like Galatians. And especially Galatians, something about Paul's letter to that group just just blew me away. And, uh, you know, I just started studying things, and then I started reading uh, Brennan Manning and Henry Nowen, and uh, even this uh, Presbyterian guy, Steve Brown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they all have these beautiful, you know, books written about grace. And then, you know, go further down the line, and you start reading things like Paul Tillich and his sermon, You Are Accepted. And you just see that there's something beyond the God of our understanding and uh, some sort of uh, pure love and grace that's out there, and that God's not this angry being in the sky or record keeper, which uh, I was built to believe. And uh, what I realized is that that was more of uh, humanity's concept, and they had kind of created God in their own image. And uh, I felt the wrath a lot from other Christians or from pastors or when I was in Christian school or uh, still growing up, I still have, you know, a lot of Christians who come and say, I'm leading people to hell and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but learning to be patient with that and uh, take it with a grain of salt. Jay, you did. If anybody went in, you know, because you, you disappeared for a while. And I, I doubt that anyone, unless they were just your most fervent followers, would know. But when you did emerge, you emerged a very, well, first of all, you went from Jamie to Jay, and you emerged a very different young man. You did come out with the piercings and the tattoos and the language and the cigarettes. And and that, and and I can see how that would just shock the viewers of the PTL Club. But at the time, you found you found a God who loved you in the midst of that, didn't you? I did, and, and, and I think that was part of it, is pushing myself, you know, sometimes you push your parents to see how much they love you, and I guess that might have been part of me pushing God to see how much I was accepted and pushing others around me. Um, you know, too, I liked to smoke. Um, but I, I, luckily I quit. Um, Good I don't for have you. any more piercings anymore. Good. As soon as you start to lose your hair a little bit, you go, <laughs> oh, I'm that guy. I'm the balding guy with uh, a, a lip ring. <laughs> Not too cool. You know, I'll be 40 uh, at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, you know, that was a big part of my life that one time. And punk rock music is, you know, something that I loved. And, and it was just a scene that when I started in Revolution, it was a group of young people who felt like they would fallen through the cracks in church. And I felt like I could identify with them to say the least. And there were so many people hurt by the church, which we still see so many people hurt by the church. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people out there doing, you know, healing or restoration. So a lot of these people who are hurt now go online and and, and are having this backlash towards the church. And uh, it's hard for me to see, because I want to go in and be a mediator, but I find people are so hurt that they don't even want to mediate. Well, Jay, I I did see online, I was listening to some interviews with you this week, and I was also listening to people who were commenting on you. You sort of found a tribe, didn't you? You you found a group of people that that said, this guy of all guys can relate to us. In fact, you fell from Christian royalty, not just fell through the cracks. Oh my gosh, you know, that that would saying it, you you fell off the planet as far as uh, the church went, and yet you still found a way to come back to God, the grace of God, the love of God, 
And then to turn around to a fairly large, you still do today, a fairly large group of people who could relate to you and you were able to say to them what about this God that they thought had turned his back on them? Well, I was able to tell them that God didn't hate them and uh, that they were loved no matter what they thought. (laughs) And they were accepted, uh, even that which they find unaccepted was accepted. And uh, I think that was hard for for, uh, a lot of people to hear at the time. And grace is a slippery slope. I had a lot of pastors come up and say, oh, you know, I mean, I used to get in so much trouble. I'd go to these Christian festivals and I'd preach about grace and people would be like, well, what about law and what about this? And I just said, you know, grace seems to be this, this, the, uh, the thing that reigns over all of that. You know, the thing that kind of, uh, the trump card, grace and love are always the trump card. Jesus said two most important things, love God with all your heart and is equally as important to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the idea of loving my neighbor as myself, what would I want my, how would I want my neighbor to love me? Would I want them to keep a record of when I've been wronged or when I wronged them or things like, of course not. You know, even First Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and you start looking at the fruits of the Spirit, and you just start to realize that there's this canon within the canon of the Bible that is just all about grace, all about love, and I think people get tripped up by a lot of the other things in the Bible, uh, a lot of it which is just historical, uh, you know, time. You know, they're, they, they, they met a Mid-Eastern, 2,000-year-old Mid-Eastern culture, they get confused with the law of God. And so you kind of have to help people separate that and allow to know them they are accepted. Now, a lot of people today have a lot of questions and a lot of doubts about God, and so do I. And so what I've found to be important is to be transparent with people and say, you know, at the end, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. at the best, I am a Christian agnostic, because I can't tell you 100%. Um, but I do know that doubt is not the opposite of faith, that it's a part of faith. It's built into faith. And so trying to share those things with people, I think kind of they go, oh, I didn't think anybody else thought that way, or I didn't feel anybody felt that way. And you go, well, yeah, you know, I do. And I, I had to go through a lot of weird, strange hell uh, huh. to get there. Um, but, you know, it, it, and also I had to realize that there was a lot of grace teachers out there that I really looked up to and really loved, who also, when I reached out to at first, weren't comfortable being a part of my life because of my family and who they were. And so I had to kind of find this, you know, Tillich talks about the God that reveals itself after the God of your understanding disappears, you know, so mm-hmm. I kind of had to find that grace beyond grace. And sure. uh, and what it was is it was beyond uh, humanity. I, I, you know, we just base so much on a human understanding of, of God rather than allowing God to be something greater than our understanding. And so for me, that, that just... I don't know. It, it took the the idea of Christ's love, the idea of grace, the idea of these understandings just took me to continue to take me further and further and further and uh, allowed me to accept who I was and, and try to encourage other people to accept who they are. And, and the Bible's been a great tool for me, and, and that's what I've, I've used. I've mm-hmm. studied it like I was told to, but you know, a lot of people who told me to study it weren't really happy with my findings. Mm-hmm. Jay Baker is on the phone with me. Uh, You know him as Jamie Charles, son of Jim and Tammy Baker. And obviously, as he said, close to 40 years old now, had a a, a fascinating life and and growing in his uh, faith. Today's show will be posted on my Facebook page tomorrow and also on the iTunes library. When I come back, I end this hour talking to Jay about something close to his heart, as it was his mother's heart, the gay and lesbian community. He has become a great friend to that community. Why? And what is God's perspective? I ask him when we're back in the sitting room on News Radio 610 WTVN. Welcome back to the sitting room. Kathy Cairo, so glad to have you and so glad to have my guest. Jay Baker is in the sitting room with me, son of Jim and Tammy Baker. He's an author, he's a pastor, theologian, and he has just launched something fun. It is a radio podcast that is there for you to jump on to and hear more of Jay. It is thisisradiocast.com. A few more minutes, Jay. Welcome back. 
Uh, let me ask you real quickly, how is your dad and what is your relationship with your dad with all of these changes? Well, he's he is good. He's adopted uh, uh, five other kids <laughs> and uh, from the inner cities of L.A., and they're really great. Um, he's still more conservative uh, than I am. Uh, <laughs> I would think. You know, our, our theologies are, are a little bit, are a bit different. Does he offer as much we, grace as God? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he. I think he's he he loves the concept of grace, but I think the idea of the way he was raised uh, in the church sure. gives him a hard time sure. accepting it's it. It's really funny to what, what it does to what the harm that uh, religion can have on people. That just it's just so hard to shake. Yeah. Jay, you, uh, your mom, uh, prior to, to her death, had an affinity and a love for the homosexual community, and they loved her right back, which was so ironic. I mean, that w- was such a, 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 a fun thing to watch. You, even more so, have almost taken that as a cause. And there are those that would say, okay, now that takes grace too far uh, in, oh, yeah. in, affirming, in affirming the gay community. Tell me, we've got about a minute here. Tell me why that's important to you and, wh- and wh- how you think God looks at the homosexual community. I think God celebrates gay marriage and gay people, and, if, and they're made the way they're made in God's image like anybody else. I believe it's humani- humanity. It's a human right. It's an equal right. And, um, you know, I just believe that this is a, the civil rights issue of our time. Um, you can argue it biblically all day, um, but... You know, when I when I first came to gay affirming, I I, I was I was a bit of a literalist in the, with the Bible. I'm not anymore. Um, but the research that I found in that moment, when I studied the laws of Rome and things like that, I realized the Bible talking a lot about rape or worship to other gods or you know uh, prostitution. But the idea of what we understand as two gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people in love wasn't there. It was uh, more of a concept of a power thing. And so for me, growing up a good Assemblies of God boy, if it wasn't there, then it didn't exist. So that's originally how I became affirming. Um, I would say now, if I if I was on that road, I would probably just argue with Paul a little bit. But, uh, you know, that, that happened, and it just made sense. It was the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, that's love, and that's grace, and that's hope. And, I, and if people think I'm easy on sin or whatever, I just don't see it that way. And that comes from spending so much time trying to do the best I can to understand the Bible and where it's at and what it's saying. Jay, real quickly, 30 seconds, tell me about your podcast. Uh, It sounds like a lot of fun. sounds like you're doing something you love doing. Tell me about it. I love doing the podcast. I'm interviewing people from all walks of life. Um, I'm still a pastor, and you can hear my sermons at revolutionchurch.com, but this is kind of my step away where I just kind of see what people's passions are and try to learn from them as much as I can. And uh, so to punk rockers, to artists, to theologians, uh, philosophers, you imagine it, we've interviewed them. Even uh, Ron Jeremy was a guest who was a, was a porn star. So, I mean, we've had everybody. And uh, right now I'm looking for a producer if there's anybody out there. But, yeah, so it's just something I'm passionate about. I really love, and I love meeting people where they're at. Jay, thanks so much. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm Kathy Cairo. Stick with me. Next hour in the sitting room, Reba Riley, 30 religions in one year. Where did she end up? We'll talk to Reba in the next hour in the sitting room. Here's your host, Kathy Cairo. And welcome back. Second hour of the sitting room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being there. And my thanks to Rachel May. Uh, American Eagle Mortgage has been a good friend to this show and a featured sponsor. And you know, uh, you know, a lot of people think that home sales end when school starts. And that's simply not true, especially in central Ohio. I call the fall our, our redeeming season. It's gorgeous, like you saw today. And we still have people going out to buy, buy homes and refinance their homes. And if that's you, call Rachel May at American Eagle Mortgage. You can find her at aemc.cc slash Rachel May. I often uh, post the link to Rachel May on, on the Facebook site for the sitting room as well. Well, my guest, as we continue our conversation about uh, post-traumatic church syndrome in one form or another, my guest in the sitting room this hour is a woman who said sickness in her body forced her to face the sickness of her spirit. Now, this is a woman who was raised in the church. In fact, you might call her an evangelical poster child. 
I'll let her tell you about it. Please welcome to the, the to sitting room the author of Post Traumatic Church Syndrome, a memoir of humor and healing in 30 religions, Reba Riley. Hi, Reba. Hi, Kathy. I'm so glad to be back in the sitting room. I'm so glad to have you. You know, whenever I read um, the little blurb about you in your book, it always makes me laugh. The part where it talks about you um, praying over your Barbies. and Yes, <laughs> I did. I made my Barbies speak in tongues. And I told I told my kindergarten class that um, Santa Santa rearranged was Satan. Yeah. <laughs> I well, don't think the parents appreciated that. Well, very you much. know what, Reba, and I laugh at this, but when I raised my own kids, I wouldn't let them watch Scooby Doo because I said it was satanic. So, I so, know. so when I I'm know. when I'm laughing, I'm laughing at myself, and I'm saying that's not too far from home. It really, yeah. it really isn't. So you were raised in in the church, and yeah. you had every reason to believe that everything you learned was true. God was real. You had a life of promise. God loved you. You're going to move on. Things were good, but as you, as I said in in the first hour, life has a way of really shifting the foundation of our faith, and that happened to you, didn't it? It absolutely did, and you know, when I talk about my my growing up years, they were wonderful. Um, you know, at the time, my parents were doing the very best they could, and I was at a a beautiful little little Christian school, Um, but the thing is that faith wasn't part of our life, Kathy. You know, faith was our life. And I didn't have an identity uh, outside of my identity as a Christian um, and a follower of Jesus Christ. From the time I can, you know, re- remember starting to talk and, and walk, that <laughs> it was always like that. And so, um, you know, the the damaging thing for me when I did realize, you know, when life threw a lot of different things at me and I realized that I didn't believe all of these things that I had been um, taught growing up, that I I wasn't allowed to choose any other way. It was either this believe-it-all theology or believe-it-none. And so I was actually, you know, my trauma comes from almost this forced choice uh, between the God that I grew up with of my childhood and all the doctrine and... Um, dogma that goes with that God uh, or nothing. Well, Reba, and I'll tell you, I'm older than you, but our backgrounds are very similar. I remember going off to college, and it was a state school, and I remember being terrified. I would lock my door because I thought if you weren't a you know fundamentalist Baptist Christian, you were on the slippery slope to hell, and I didn't want to go with you. Oh, and, and I was afraid of every. I had friends inviting me. It was in Texas, and I had friends invi- inviting me to go line dancing, and you know, one time off off the air, I'll tell you the funny story about a friend who took me to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I thought it was oh, a movie. No. Oh, no. You <laughs> and so I, for days. I relate. I, well, I thought I was going to hell. I had yes. to. So, right. And that's what you were like. There was no room for doubt. There was no mm. room for questions. Well, you know, it, 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 it's funny because they would always say that there was room for doubt and questions, that God was big enough to handle them. But when it really came down to it, uh, it was almost like doubt and questions were a pool, and you were allowed to go like right up to the edge, but you better not get out, you know, mm-hmm. and and you better you better arrive at our, um, uh, you know, our conclusions. And there was sort of this, this I don't know if it, it was unspoken. I can't remember anyone ever saying, you know, you must uh, arrive here, but that was what the culture said, the subculture that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's okay to question and doubt as long as you come up with our answer when you're done. Mm -hmm. What did that do to you? You get into your 20s and you found yourself what? What what did that do to your faith and what did that do to you physically? Oh my goodness. So in my my early 20s, I was was as deep in as you could get. Um, I was at the Focus on the Family Institute out in Colorado Springs. I I graduated from there. Uh, I had been to Bible college and I was part of a ministry training uh, ministry training center for a, a large evangelical mega church that's very well known. Um, and it was, I was actually in those situations, Kathy, because that was how I was trying to deal with the cracks in my faith. It's like they scared me so much, you know, the idea that I might not actually believe all of these things that I've been taught that I literally ran closer. You know, it's like if I just dig my heels in and I go to the Focus on the Family Institute, they can pray my doubt away or something. And so um, at the end of that time, when I was, um, you know, early 20s, and I, and I recognized that I really couldn't believe many of the things that I had been taught, and I had this forced choice 
to either walk away from God completely or continue on, you know, with this um, this uh, evangelical subculture. And I realized to be true to myself, I, I had to walk away, and it and it broke my heart. Um, it, and it not only broke my heart, it broke, uh, you know, it broke my identity apart. Um, I lost a lot of relationships because of it. I, I lost the, the real the gravity that had held my life together. Did you um, walk away, Reba? You went, you walk away from faith. Mm-hmm. Did you walk away from God? I mean, I had a guest on the show last week who said he became an atheist. Did you become an atheist, or you just said I cannot practice the faith that I was raised in? I I think I would have become an atheist if I could have. <laughs> but the thing is that I had such a real and genuine connection to the to spiritual right. things from the time that I was young that was fostered by um, we were Pentecostal. And so this idea of, you know, having a, a, a personal relationship with something bigger than you are um, was fostered in my life, you know? So um, it was when walking away from that, it literally was like, I had, if I was a stool, you know, with three legs, it was like cutting off one of those legs. I can't imagine. I can't. I have Reba Riley on the phone with me. She is an author. She's a speaker. Uh, she blogs at pathos.com, and she is the author of one of the most fun and enlightening books I have read in a long time. It's called Post-Traumatic Church Syndrome, A Memoir of Humor and Healing in 30 Religions. You can find Reba at RebaRiley.com, but stick with me because she's here with us for the hour. Coming back after this break, I want to talk to Reba about what happened when her body started failing and she said, I think there's a connection. I think there's a connection between my failed faith and my failed body. She's going to tell us about that. In the sitting room, I'm Kathy Cairo, News Radio 610 WTVN. Thank you for taking your time on this Sunday afternoon to spend some time with me. And I'm so grateful to my guest in this second hour, Reba Riley. Uh, she lives just up the road in Cincinnati. Many years, for many years, though. In fact, when we're going through the experience she's talking about here on the show, she lived here in Columbus. She is uh, the author of a cleverly titled and fun book called Post Traumatic Church Syndrome A Memoir of Humor and Healing. Please welcome back to the sitting room, Reba Riley. Hi, Reba. Hi, Kathy. So we, before the break, you were telling us that you went through a period of doubt. Uh, but as you got into your late 20s, you actually walked, you walked away from your faith, but you began to have some physical illness that you said, hey, I think these are connected. I think the spiritual uh, the, the, the vacuum in my life and my physical uh, feeling is, is connected, didn't you? Well, Actually, it was so, it's in my early 20s when I walked away completely from the faith, and it was also in my early 20s when I began to get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in my mind at that time, as I, as I started to come down with these symptoms, and as I was visiting all these doctors for years, it was, it was inescapable in my mind that, to think that maybe I was being punished in some way. Sure. Um, you know, that maybe I was sick because I wasn't, uh, you know, with the faith of my childhood or that I was that had walked away from God. Um, that was always a nagging sensation, even though, you know, by my late 20s, I don't think I truly believed that, but it was there, certainly. Um, the, the thought was there. You said that during this time, you said, um, you described what's called spiritual in- injury, and you mm-hmm. said that you dealt with anger, despair, depression, failure to believe anything, moral confusion, loss of gravity, and emptiness. Those are very heavy emotional symptoms. Tell me about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think anyone who has ever lost anything and been broken goes through the type of grief that I went through when I walked away from my faith, um, and, and some of those things that you listed are uh, you know, what I define as, 
as post-traumatic church syndrome, which is spiritual injuries. And, uh, and I was dealing with, you know, really grieving the loss of my faith and, and my God and my identity um, in, in my mid to late 20s, certainly. So tell me about this uh, idea you have. You're 29, and you again, quoting from your book, you said, I need to believe again. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this idea yeah. you had. And I, and I tell my audience, at this time, you lived in Columbus, and you said, what? What was the idea you had that you thought that'll re-energize my faith? Well, I actually lived in the short north at mm-hmm. the time, uh, the short north neighborhood, and, and I was having a birthday party at my house. Uh, my 29th birthday party. So all my family and friends were there. And it's important for your listeners to know that no one really knew I was sick except my mother and some, you know, just very few people because I had all this shame around the illness because no doctors could diagnose me. And and we're going on eight years of being sick. So I I was, when I turned 29, I was so sick that I was faking my way through everything in life. Um, and the only reason I could even hold down a job is because I worked at home. So you're talking about a very sick girl. And, um, and on my birthday, I, while everyone was waiting outside for me to, to sing, I was literally on the floor of my closet weeping um, because I didn't know if I had the physical strength to get up off my closet floor and go out there and try to pretend that everything was okay. And, um, you know, crisis points happen to all of us. Sometimes they happen in closets on the floor. Sometimes they happen in the bathroom. But whenever they happen, they force us to face things in our life. And I know I'm not the only person who who has dealt with uh, illness and that illness forced them to face their spirituality. And so it was in that moment that I realized that I, I had done everything I could to fix my body. I had been to every every specialist, every every chiropractor, every hell psychics mm-hmm. <laughs> everywhere, and and I had um, I had tried everything, and and I was getting sicker and sicker, and I was losing more and more power uh, in my life, and 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 so I realized that as sick as I was physically, I was even sicker spiritually, and 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 it was that realization that made me think, okay, maybe I can take some power back in my life if I deal with this anger and bitterness of post-traumatic church syndrome. Uh, and that was the crisis point. And I'd like to tell you that I came up with this idea of, of, of going to 30 religions before I turned 30, but I don't know where it came from, Kathy. <laughs> you know, it, I didn't want to go to any religions. I didn't want to go to church. Um, the first time I, I had this idea of, of going on the spiritual journey, um, I, I say in the book that it fit me as well as a prison jumpsuit. Uh, you know, I did not want to do this. Well, I love what you say in your book. Um, you said, I wanted to fix my spirit, but I didn't know how. I knew I could simply curl up in a pew, clutch a Bible, and rest. But to do that, I'd have to repent with words I couldn't spit out, admit to sins I hadn't committed. No, I could not go back there. I would not believe in a God who did not believe in me. Wow, that's so poignant. And you probably remember when you felt like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I remember writing it over and over mm-hmm. and over to try to capture that, um, you know, to capture that feeling. And I know there are probably many of our listeners out there who have been in that space or are in that space where you want something and you don't, you don't even know what to do. You know, you don't even know what is, what is the first step to try to recover, um, spiritually. And so for me, the 30 religions journey was not, I, I didn't set out on it to write a book. I was way too sick to think about that. You know, it was just, it was a way that I could wrap my arms around this really intangible problem and give myself a tangible way to try to attack it, um, one visit at a time. And I, and, 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 you know, when I first read your book, I thought, okay, she means she's going to go to the Methodist and the Baptist and the Lutherans and kind of stay in this little subculture of Christians. Right. No, no, no. no. Reba, <laughs> you, no. you found somewhere near Columbus, Ohio, you found what kind of range of religions did you go visit in that 29th year? Everything. And about half of the, about half of the 30 were in that Christian space, uh, Kathy. You know, everything from Amish to Pentecostal to Baptist to Methodist, um, and in Christian spiritualist, so a huge range within Christianity. It's much deeper and wider than I, I had known. Um, but then the other half of them are basically every religion I could think of or find within a two hour drive of Columbus. 
Ohio. So that includes um, everything from Hare Krishna to Buddhism, um, the Hindu temple. Uh, I spent some time with pagans in the woods celebrating Beltane. Um, uh, I, really, if you can think of it, I tried to find it, <laughs> with it and I did. I did find it um, within a two-hour drive of Columbus. Did you find God in all of it? Because that would run counter to everything you were taught. Yeah, right. That's the, that, that is the, the, you know, the, the challenging thing about the journey and about the book is that what I found is that God meets us wherever we are or aren't. And, and I found love and light in all of these places, in all of these traditions. Um, I found glimmers of what I would call you know, the, what I would call God. Yeah, everywhere. And it was counter to what I thought. You know, it was very counter to what I had been, what I had been brought up with. Um, yeah, certainly. I have on the phone with me Reba Riley. She is the author of the book on, that recounts this experience of visiting thirty uh, religions in her twenty ninth year. And the name of that book is Post Traumatic Church Syndrome: A Memoir of Humor and Healing. Uh, When I come back in the sitting room, I want to ask Reba uh, some of those experiences in those different churches. Did she ever feel on the edge of spiritual danger? Did she ever feel, gosh, I've been wrong my entire life, and where was God in the middle of it? What is a nice evangelical girl doing in a Hindu temple? I ask her in the sitting room on News Radio 610 WTVN. Come on into the sitting room. The sitting room. We're saving you a seat. In the sitting room. The sitting room. Here's your host, Kathy Cairo. Welcome back into the sitting room. Last half hour of our second hour, and I continue my conversation with Reba Riley. You can find uh, Reba at RebaRiley.com. She also blogs at Pathios.com, and she's the author of Post Traumatic Church Syndrome, a memoir of humor and healing. And she is uh, a hometown girl. She's now at her home in Cincinnati, but lived in Columbus. Welcome back, Reba, uh, as we continue this adventure of you going and visiting 30 religions in, in, uh, in your 29th year before you turned 30. You, you did live in, in Columbus at the time, um, and you, before we went to break, said, yeah, some of the religions I went to were in the Christian subcategory, but you really branched out. You found a Hindu temple. You found a Buddhist, what do they call a Buddhist? Meditation, meditation, center. meditation center. What were some of the religions you tried, and what were the most, I'd say, exotic or unusual that it might surprise us that, they, that it even exists in Central Ohio? Well, let's see. I mean, we, you named several of them off right there. Um, uh, you know, I, I spent time with the Amish, which are, were familiar with them in Ohio, but I was the first person who had ever reached out to try to attend a church service with them. Um, and so I was l- literally their first, as they would say, English visitor, and I spent, <laughs> spent all day with them. Um, and, uh, you know, and I spent time with some some pagan friends who would I- identify as different traditions, depending on, you know, at whether they would identify as Wiccan or um, Druid. But in any case, I spent time celebrating the spring with them um, in, a, in a state park. Um, I, yes, the Hindu temple was actually a, a very important turning point for me, Kathy. Um, you probably remember from the book, but, uh, you know, it was when I was at the Hindu temple, I was coming up against some almost hardwired stuff from my past where I thought, I'm here in front of these statues, you know, I'm, oh my gosh, am I worshiping a demon? You know, uh, I, I, I literally, and I, and I didn't even realize that, that that thought was still with me until I was faced, you know, with these um, different de- deities. And uh, what was really incredible is I had this amazing guide uh, who was in the temple with me, and, um, and, and I said, well, how many, how many gods are there? How many goddesses? This looks like there's so many. Uh, and he said, well, it varies depending on, you know, which Hindu person you would be talking to, but really there's only one. And I'm looking around thinking, dude, there's, you know, there's like, I can, there's 30 in my line of sight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, no, these are all just different representations different faces of the same God. 
And uh, that was so pivotal for me because what I realized is we're all in religion. We're trying to put a face on God. That's what we're trying to do. And they also had at, at their temple a fountain that was their um, monument to the, the God who cannot be seen. And it was when I saw that that I realized that maybe this, maybe this God, that's a God I knew very well, you know, uh, the God who cannot be contained by walls. And could that be something that I could learn to appreciate? Could that be a face of God that I could learn to mm-hmm. see? But Reba, I have to go back and, sure. and to your to your uh, uh, childhood and where God did have a face and his name was Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and the Bible that says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Number one, do you still believe that? And secondly, what did you do with that truth when you're sitting in a Hindu temple surrounded by 30 uh, statues? Well, at the time I was in the Hindu temple, that's, you know, we're talking about, it was four years ago Sure. Um, at this point, so three and a half years ago. I wasn't even considering, that's not a conversation I was having uh, at, at that time mm-hmm. in my mind. Um since the time that the main action of the book has finished, because obviously my spiritual journey did not stop at the end of this book, um, I have been able to reconcile my Christianity uh, and see myself as a follower of the ways and teachings of Jesus Christ. And as I understand that, it is love God and love people, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So Christianity, I have been able to make much more peace with than even is seen within the book Post-Traumatic Church Syndrome. Rebo, did anyone deny your request to come in? Did anyone not welcome the outsider uh, to to take a look at it? Who who was that? Yes. Um, Several Native American uh, tribes uh, actually denied me. um, I think there were five that said that I couldn't come. Um, and that was, I was really disappointed because I, you know, I physically speaking, I thought maybe if I can, you know, talk to a shaman, that's one person I hadn't talked to, um, you know, maybe they could help me physically. And, and it was, that was really kind of painful, um, you know, to, to have that denied. But, uh, in the end, I ended up spending time with the Nemenha right there in Upper Arlington, Chief Iggy Hoopwatcher, uh, Garcia. And it was a phenomenal experience with them in the in the sweat lodge um, in its CP. So it worked out. But yes, I was denied certainly. How did your view of God change uh, when you as you journeyed through this? Uh, did did I have to believe God became bigger? That God became uh, probably more expansive, and as you said, less walls uh, than than what you had uh, gone into this with. So much bigger, so much bigger. What I what I saw is. God is bigger than any box that we can draw around God. Um, my friend Paul Young, who wrote The Shack and uh, also has a new book coming up, Eve, um, he says that the only time that you're going to find God in a box is because God wants to be in that box with you. Hmm. And so I, that's the, you know, the God that I believe in is so much bigger than any, any lines that we can draw around that God. Um, and, and, and really when it comes down to it, we're told that God is love. And and I think if there are people out there who are having trouble connecting with God because of something in their past, I would say connect with love because we're told that is God. Hmm. Now, you uh, you speak, um, you spoke earlier in the hour about how in your upbringing, the way you were raised, you were afraid of these groups. You were afraid oh, of re- reaching uh, out there now, of course, as a young adult going uh, into them, coming out of each one of these visits, do you still have something to fear? Now, right or, no, after going no. through, what did you learn? What did you learn about each one of these faiths that was contrary to the way you were raised? That God shows up. God shows up any time that we are we are doing our best to reach that God. God shows up, mm-hmm. and, and and what I, I I don't write about this, Kathy, in the book. But what I think about, you know, I'm not a mother, but I do have nieces and nephews, and and obviously you're a mother. But I just imagine like the you know my nieces and nephews or, or your children or whatever when they're little, making you know like these kind of horrible looking things at Christmas for you. You know, yeah. like they might even been there. Yes. Ashtray, right. Yeah. You're not a smoker. Who cares? They bring it to you. And what do you do? 
you love them mm-hmm. and you take their gift and you say, oh, I love you so much. Thank you. And I think like literally, I feel like that's what God does. It's like, oh, it's so nice that you're trying to dance around a fire. It's so nice mm-hmm. that you're, you know, that you're, that you're bowing or whatever is the ritual that you're doing because God is so much bigger than that. God sees the heart, what you're trying to do through these things, what we're all trying to do is reach something bigger than we are. Well, and, and I, I, I think, Reba, I think God does see in this that at the end of the day, what you were trying to do was find him. What you're trying yeah. to do is find your loving father. And as imperfect as our attempts might be, do you sense that God knew that? God knew at the end of the day that was his daughter making her best effort to find him. I think that's what God sees in all of us. I think that's what God sees in all of us because, you know, there's so much fear um, growing up with the other religions that God is perfect love and perfect love casts out fear. And so I don't think there really is anything to fear because God is so much bigger. God's love is bigger than, than any way that we can... Uh, try to mess it up. Hmm. Reba Riley is in the sitting room with me, and we have one more break coming back after this. And uh, I want to ask her, it's been a few years now since she's written that book, and uh, she's been doing some traveling with Paul Young, author of The Shack. Where is her faith now? Where has this journey taken her and her physical healing? Did she get that? I'm in the sitting room with Reba right after this. Welcome back to the sitting room. I'm Kathy Cairo. A few more minutes in the sitting room, and my guest is Reba Riley. Reba is the author of a wonderful book, came out uh, earlier this year. It's called Post Traumatic Church Syndrome A Memoir of Humor and Healing. Welcome back, Reba. Thanks, Kathy. What's going on with your book, real quickly, before we wrap this up? It, you've gotten picked up by a, pu- a publisher, and what else is going on? Yes, Simon & Schuster published it as one of their lead titles for August, so it came out on Tuesday. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, thank you. It came out on Tuesday in hardcover, an audiobook, which I narrated, which was really fun, uh, and also Kindle as well. Great, and tell me about this adventure you had with uh, uh, Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. What are you doing with him? Oh, my dear friend Paul. Uh, Paul and I did some uh, engagements together out on the West Coast where we talked about um, life and loss and, and how we are not alone in our loss uh, out, out on the West Coast. Um, that, that tour is currently not scheduled to come to Ohio anytime uh, soon, but I'll make sure to let you know if it does. Oh, I would love that, Reba. Now let's get back to your story because when we <laughs> left, you talked about visiting all these religions. Let's wrap this up at the end of the year. You, If you could, in a few sentences, tell me what, you, what was your end. Let's start with the spiritual diagnosis. What did you find? Did you find God in at the end of those uh, that journey through 30 religions? I absolutely did, more than I ever could have imagined. And, and I found a God who is, is perfect love. Um, and, uh, and I found, you know, I found many communities that I was part of, but I do have to give a shout out to Stone Village Church right there in the short north, um, Methodist Church. I, I found a great community of, of people there. Um, and, and I, and I really did. I just, I found, I found out God is love. And that sounds, I know a lot of people hear that and they says, well, that sounds so trite. It sounds like a platitude, like you say, God is love. But can you put legs to that for me? What does it mean after you have been to 30 religions and, and come out on the other end? I think God is, is the perfect mother, the perfect father. Uh, God sees all that we are and all that we aren't and loves us anyway. Um, it puts, I just, I saw a God who just met me everywhere I was, Kathy. You know, everywhere I was, everywhere I showed up, I, I communed with something that was bigger than I am. Even though you broke the rules. <laughs> I broke the rules I grew up with. I sure did. And it didn't seem like God yeah. paid much attention to the fact that I was breaking the rules. And, uh, you know, to say it's, it's try, you know, but it's true. Um, and, and, and my journey certainly was not 
trite, and I even fasted for 30 days uh, because I wanted to reach this God so much. So um, I worked really hard to get to that conclusion. Physically, what did you find out you did regain health, and what did you find out was the problem? I did. Well, I don't want to ruin it for anyone who has not read the book, um, but I did, six months after the conclusion of my spiritual journey, I, uh, I found a doctor, it's actually Dr. Sandra Pinkham, there on Riverside Drive, um, who was able to diagnose and treat um, an autoimmune condition, and, and now I still deal with it um, on a daily basis, but I am a hundred times healthier than the than the girl. So you weren't book. being punished for. <laughs> oh, you know, I guess it's up to whoever to think about it. No, I was not being punished. I was not being punished. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, Reba, you are always a delight to have in the sitting room, and I just thank you for taking a few minutes and stopping by again. When you do something, whatever it is, would you let me know so we can have you back to talk about it? Absolutely. And I will let you know uh, when I do come to Columbus to do some speaking and signing, I'll make sure to to let you know so you can tell your listeners. Okay, Reba, thank you so much. I've had on the phone with me Reba Riley. You can find her. She blogs at Patheos, P-A-T-H-E-O-S dot com. I just put her link on my Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash Uh, sitting room radio so you can reach her quickly she is the author of post-traumatic church syndrome a memoir of humor and healing and i thank her so much for being in the sitting room as we uh, wrap up this hour i want to take a minute and thank you my listeners for the past 15 months as Westside jeff said coming into this show i've made a very very difficult decision uh, to end the sitting room this show is my last show it started in well uh, the show has been in my head for a good 15 years and then it went on the air on another station for a little bit and came here on WTVN uh, in the summer of 2014 and it has always been my effort to send you an all-inclusive love letter uh, from a God that many of you felt had fallen out of love with you years or decades ago. You tell me about it in your emails and in your messages. And somewhere in my heart was the knowledge that you were out there because I know I was out there as well. And I took a trajectory in my own life where I thought, does God still love me in spite of my lack of performance and my lack of ability to be perfect? And I found he did. And it was my mission to tell you that the father who welcomed the prodigal son by running down the road to him was still running, only this time he was running to you. That there is no life trajectory that kept you out of his line of sight or the love of his great heart. By your emails and messages to me, I feel like I have succeeded at least a little. Business and personal interests make it time for me to take a break in producing the sitting room. The time, there's just one of me and it's impossible for me for now. I would like you to consider this break, however, my away message with great hopes to be back. I thank you. I thank you for listening. I thank you for sharing your heart and your thoughts. And thank you for turning back to God after this short stop in the sitting room. I'm Kathy Cairo and you're listening to The Sitting Room on News Radio 610 WTVN. Thank you for joining us in The Sitting Room with Kathy Cairo. For information about anything heard on today's program, visit us online at sittingroomradio.com.